Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Lessons Learned. I'm Dylan. And I'm Evan. And today we will be talking about shamans and revolutionary heroes. Feels like World of Warcraft. So uh, I'll change my reference from World of Warcraft to Lord of the Rings. Are there shamans in Lord of the Rings? Uh, I don't think there are in the movies. Okay. I don't, I, there might be in the books. Well, I tried to be clever, but please tell. So you said shamans and revolutionary heroes? Yes. So, uh, okay. This is another continuation of our anomalies and events from two episodes ago. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So last time we talked about the strange idea. Mm-hmm. The one two times before that, or no. The one before that one, we talked right. about the strange and the stranger. Yep. Now we're talking about his fourth and final sort of anomaly, uh-huh. which is the revolutionary hero. Ooh. So let's get started. Okay. He says the archetypal revolutionary hero therefore faces the anger and rejection of his peers, as well as the terrors of the absolutely unknown. He is nonetheless the best friend of the state. So, for a little bit of context to understand that, the revolutionary hero is someone that goes out into the unknown beyond the bounds of the known and of structure and of order. Mm -hmm. And then they come back into order with this new experience of chaos and they introduce like brand new ideas that will probably in some aspects destroy the old order. Right. And it's supposed to be for the benefit. So, doing something like that and threatening the order that we have obviously would bring upon anger and rejection from peers. Um, But Jordan says he is the best friend of the state because his actions are necessary for the survival of the state. Because there's hmm. they had the state had to adapt, and so. The revolutionary hero came up with something revolutionary and the people that are part of that culture or order or structure or whatever are not a fan of completely revamping things. But with the revolutionary hero, those things are still necessary for the state to survive. So they're going to have to like get over it. I'm very conflicted because you remember telling me about the, um, the kind of the hypothetical story of like, the Garden of Eden has walls around it, and there's people yeah. that don't remember the why the walls are there. Mm-hmm. That was JP, right? Mm-hmm. You see the line I'm drawing, right? Yeah. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Jordan Peterson talks about a hypothetical wall around the Garden of Eden that's there to keep them safe, to keep the bad guys from getting in, you know, and to so keep them they in can the safe area. operate freely within the garden. And people forget why the wall's there, so they start casting stones at the walls and basically destroying the walls, which destroys their ability to operate freely because now they have to handle the threats from Mm -hmm. outside the walls. So that statement of this revolutionary hero feels maybe just a tiny bit contradictory. I'm confused about it. Okay, I feel better now. Yeah. So we'll see if throughout this he can explain it better. But I'm going to leave you in that 
frustration and this pool and confusion. of sadness. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so he starts. He equates the revolutionary hero to the shaman, the like ancient shaman, like a literal yeah, like what I'm thinking about, like shamanism, shaman, World of Warcraft shaman. Sure, close enough. Like mythical shaman. Yeah. Like, like RPG shaman. Yeah. It's like a historical figure, but yeah, like the medicine man. Okay, interesting. Things like that. Huh, okay. So, he says the widespread practices and viewpoints of shamanism constitute a cohesive philosophy, a cohesive philosophy, so to speak, embedded unconsciously in behavior and image. This ritual philosophy comprises a set of observations about the nature of radical personality transformation and a set of practices designed to bring such alteration about. So, he's saying that the shaman all represent this single kind of cohesive philosophy, Mm -hmm. and that philosophy is all about radical transformation. And they, what he's going to kind of go through is how shamans go through their own personal radical transformation, Mm -hmm. and we'll go through how they do that and all that, but they go through this and then they come back to the culture and then they can act as like a guide for the people because they've had all these new personal experiences and stuff like that. And that's kind of what the revolutionary hero is supposed to do. Hmm. I, uh, it works in some situations and then in others it just doesn't. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, one of the things that happens with these shamans and therefore revolutionary heroes in general, mm-hmm. according to him, is that they go through a period of creative illness. And this period of creative illness can look like depression, neurosis, psychosomatic ailments, or even psychosis. It's like insanity. Okay. The hero suffers from feelings of utter isolation, even in his day-to-day life, surrounded by normal people. And he emerges from his ordeal with permanent transformation in his personality and the conviction that he has discovered a great truth or a new spiritual world. You know what this kind of reminds me of? What? The story of Jesus and the 40 nights and 40 days in the desert. I didn't make that connection. Well, I just did. That's a good one. Yeah. My reading of this was mostly critical, so. Okay. Well, I'm I'm the fun and free-flowing yeah. one. And that's why you read the Jordan Peterson, because I couldn't. But yeah, does that not sound like Jesus going into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and then coming back so he can teach the people better? You it know? kind of does. Yeah. Huh. Wow. So. But there's going to be some distinctions later on. I'm so. sure there will be, but I'm saying like the abstraction of what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. He could just say, hey, you know, that Christian thing, that religion, that Christianity thing read the bible yeah but there's going to be quite a few differences sure um i would say that's beyond the the essence of what this thing he's talking about is you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i and maybe i'm wrong you've read it i haven't i'm just speculating at this point i think there's some loose connections (laughs) all right but he gets into some pretty out there territory all right well let's go so he says that they're these shamans or revolutionary heroes are not just ancient but there's also modern ones. Like Jesus? No. (laughs) Many of the 19th and 20th century figures recognized unquestionably as great, Nietzsche, Darwin, 
Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Freud, Jung, and Piaget were additionally characterized by lengthy periods of profound psychological unrest and certainty, which is that creative illness. So he's saying that some of these people that are considered great in the past 200 years, um, they went through this shamanistic creative illness. So I've, I'm just going to read you what I wrote. Uh, I know that all of them did not believe in God, which could be an important connection. Okay. Many of them were against the idea of God as they thought rationality was more important as well as that rationality and Christianity could not go together. That's what we learned with Tolstoy mm-hmm. last episode. Um, so we'll get into m- more issues later on, but I don't think that a lot of these people were great. I think they had some profound impacts, but I don't think that the impacts were necessarily good. Well, based off of the last episode, what Tolstoy said, was that like one of his most profound thinkings? I don't know. And I know he's super famous for War and Peace, which is his book about, I think the... Never read it, but okay. I think it's when Napoleon attacks Moscow during his Russian invasion. Okay. In like 1813 or something, or 1814. Oh boy. Um, and it's about this like family that's there and like all this political drama and social drama and stuff like that. But it's super long, but he was always considered a really good writer. Um, Dostoevsky was a writer as well, a Russian writer. <clears throat> And, you know, Nietzsche's a philosopher, God is dead guy, Darwin, theory of evolution, mm-hmm. Freud, psychoanalysis. Um, Wasn't Freud the, also the one that, like, founded the, um, like, gender ideologies? Am I thinking of a different guy? No, he didn't really, but he definitely... He was laid, the one doing the weird practices. Well, right? he laid the groundwork for later people. Okay, that, yeah. Then it is the guy I'm thinking about. Yeah, so he pretty much thought that culture was defined by what it doesn't allow. Mm-hmm. And he also thought that humans were primarily <clears throat> sexual in nature and that they like, go through di- the different stages of development are explained by like social or um, sexual stages of development. It's like the first one with infants is oral because like when they breastfeed and stuff like that. I don't like where this is going. It's like, no, it, he tries to make all of it sexually based. Um, so I think there's a problem with a lot of these people. So I have issue with the fact that he calls them revolutionary heroes because that, and, but this makes me question the whole idea of like what the revolutionary hero is and whether or not it's like a good thing. And it, he absolutely says it is. Because right. It's I don't care what he says. I'm trying to figure out what I think. Okay. Okay. So my point is, is like, if those are what he's saying is a revolutionary hero, then I'm going to lean on the fence of it's bad. And I think that there can be good ones. Sure. I think that well, look, George Washington, I know that's literal because he was the leader of the revolutionary war. You could say he was a revolutionary hero, mm-hmm. but that's a great one. Because he brought people into a free world, I mean, arguably as God intended, mm-hmm. with free will and, and freedoms that we're actually born with. And and I know that's kind of the foundation of our, our um, 
country is like this this idea of like freedom and and free will and and all these things that we are born with we're not, it's not an earned thing i would say that's a great revolutionary here he took people away from being in a monarchy with no rights except for those given to them by one person mm-hmm. from one line of family to actually having the rights we're actually born with yeah i think I think it's also interesting that he emphasizes how it's like a good thing, I guess, that or it's at least important that they went through these periods of psychological unrest Mm. and that that's a redeeming fact and not something that might lead to some skepticism. Yeah, I'm already led to some skepticism. Yeah, so I'll kind of continue with my issues here with this next quote. Okay. He says... uh, Those who undergo a second initiation, which that doesn't matter for what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. um, suffer more deeply and profoundly from life than their peers. They are, in Jung's phrase, the most complex and differentiated minds of their age. And that's talking about like the people that we just, that I just quote or talked about in the last quote. Um, To me, this sounds very prideful. Like, they're oh. thinking that because they've been through hard stuff, they know more than other people. Oh, that really drives me up a wall. And I, well, I said, as Christians, two of the most important things that we practice are gratefulness and humbleness. Mm-hmm. And I think that those keep us away from the pride that helped these people. Mm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that at some point they're probably guided by their pride. I would have to agree. I don't think that... Just because you go through a hardship doesn't mean you're better in any way, shape, or form. Arguably, mm-hmm. you could be worse. Yeah. And and it's it's awful. It's it's tragic. But, you know, hardships do make you. They make your character. They make your beliefs. They do a lot of things for you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't deny that there's a level of true tragedy that comes from a hardship. Like, I've been through hardships. And I can tell you that it makes some things hard for me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's actually, like, a level of burden. Yeah. And granted, you know, it is what you make of it. And what I'm going to do with those experiences is, um, you know, teach my kids and and have them learn from it so they don't make those mistakes, etc. But that doesn't make me better. If anything, it makes me worse. Yeah. And it is a tragic thing, and it is kind of sad to think about. And I think ultimately it boils down to what you make of it. But by no means am I better because of an unfortunate circumstance. And, I mean, you can learn from an unfortunate circumstance. Absolutely. But, but yeah, you're not better than other people who haven't suffered. No, I, I mean, like, if if you cut your arm open and you get a scar, like, that's a weaker part of your skin. Mm-hmm. You learned, and your body healed. Yeah, but that's like a literal well, weaker. And that's part something of else that I took issue with was the idea that <clears throat> because these guys had like <laughs> internal personal conflicts, mm-hmm. that then they know more about the world itself. No, that doesn't even make sense. I didn't really think so, and I mean, I don't know. It kind of relies on the idea of like almost revelation, which a lot of them wouldn't like, because revelation is where you're getting something out of nothing basically yeah so like you go and have this experience and then you know more than you knew before mm-hmm. that's what revelation is is that like a godly thing yeah i mean divine revelation 
mm. is something that's but is there about. a difference between like revelation and divine revelation or is are those kind of just hand in hand i mean revelation is just not arriving to something through rationality mm. right okay so that's what i thought so wait why wouldn't they like revelation then because they believe in like the hardship to get there and maybe some of them do but like mm -hmm. Jung had his collective unconscious idea mm -hmm. and he thought that there was information and stuff that's kind of stored in this unconscious narrative that progresses through human history hmm. and then that can just come up and maybe that's where he thought revelation came from mm, okay i get what you're saying but <clears throat> i don't know i just think it seems a bit prideful to assume that yeah it i just i don't feel like it's genuine like that just doesn't make sense. And I mean, you can definitely convince yourself of it and it can feel genuine, but either way. Um, yeah, but looking at it from an outside perspective, I'd say it's in disingenuous. Right. And so here's, I almost took this quote out mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure if I understood it in a different way, in a different way the next time I read it, mm -hmm. but I'll leave it in and we'll see. Okay. The shamanic process of transformation which is this, you know, the thing we talked about, like with the creative illness and stuff, and I'll detail mm -hmm. it more in depth next. But the shamanic process of transformation appears as the means by which cognitive systems are updated when necessary. So by going through this creative illness and like these hardships and stuff, you're updating your cognitive processes in a way that'll help you later. What I said originally... <coughs> And I think I still agree is I don't see how anything is being updated if you are removing the barriers that existed previously, which was the point of this, if you remember from the beginning, right. is that they're moving past the barriers of tradition or culture or whatever. Right. I don't see how anything's being updated if you're removing those because then you're not building off of anything. Yeah. You're starting something new. And I mean, you can use your previous knowledge of the old one, of the old tradition, but mm -hmm. the whole point is that you're moving outside of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this starts getting into, like, uh, like the conversation of, like, why we can't just blend things together. Like, we can't just blend cultures together, and we can't just, like, blend religions together. Mm -hmm. Because, like, these set standards that we have in a religion and in our culture are the reason that those things are appealing or unappealing, you know, depending... Uh, Per the person. I mean, like, if you are interested in becoming Christian mm -hmm. and you join Christianity and you go to your church and you're like, well, I grew up uh, like a Buddhist and you start trying to change all these Christian values to match more Buddhism, you're shifting this foundational idea of Christianity that you were attracted to to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a little different than like the revolutionary here leaving, coming back, but you can say the same thing. A Christian leaves and joins Buddhism and learns all about Buddhism and then comes back to the Christian values and goes, let's change it because this is what right. I learned. Well, wait, but that's not what this is. It's this is different. Thing. You're looking at a new thing. Mm -hmm. That's its own separate entity that you, it's on you to figure right. out. And that's what he talks about later about, um, <coughs> I'll just bring up the quote now, I guess. Yeah, go for it. He says, creative individuals destroy old values and threaten with chaos but they also bear light in the promise of better things. Is that all creative individuals? One, no, it's not. Okay. And two, I think that a 
creative indi individual can be creative and add to values without having to destroy old ones. I would agree. Yeah. So, and I mean, I, that's what I said. I said, I feel like creative people can easily work in conjunction with and improve upon old values without destroying them if they choose. Mm -hmm. And also if he's talking about people like Freud and Darwin, mm -hmm. I don't think that they bear any sort of light or promise. No. Because no all that led to is nihilism. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, it, so beyond like leaving and coming back and trying to change the thing that you just left, mm -hmm. like beyond looking at it like that, it's, I feel like he's taking a lot of just extreme stances mm. and not that he hasn't been saying things with confidence or anything. I just feel like he's really walking down this a, like extreme path. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's saying things not with confidence, but with just bold statements and is this is just how it is and it's like but it doesn't like beyond five seconds of thinking about it which doesn't make sense because this is like what 30 years of research mm -hmm. so like there's got to be something well i guess there doesn't have to be something but i think there's got to be some huge presupposition he's made that is just immediately undermined by at least by us of faith you know i'm guessing that's it yeah because we have different assumptions because <clears throat> i have an, as an evolutionist obviously darwin is good Ooh. you know what i mean yeah so i think that's where it comes from but we'll we'll just keep going and see if things change so and if they don't we'll cry right so yeah uh, i'll give you some more about the shaman he talks about this path that the shaman goes through in order to become a shaman, pretty much. Okay. Going from, like, an apprentice into an actual shaman. Okay. So he says, and this is just mostly paraphrasing, I'm quoting here and there, but the shaman might visit the sky, which is where he converses with the supernatural beings and mythical heroes, or he will go into the realm of dead, such as by going to sleep, like, next to a graveyard or something. Um, wherever he goes, he meets with spirits heroes of the mythical times, and souls of the dead. And in a certain sense, they all instruct him in the secrets of the medicine man's profession. Naturally, the training is properly, or the training proper is concluded under the direction of the old masters. So do you track with all of that? That's what think, that path looks like? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so knowing that then, here's where that's important. Uh, he says, the shaman therefore serves his society as active intermediary with the unknown, as a conduit, so to speak, through th through which the unknown speaks to man, as the agent through which the information which compels adaptive change flows. So he goes and he has this symbolic death and resurrection mm -hmm. by going into the underworld or going up into the sky and talking to spirits or whatever, and then coming back and then then he's this guy that knows more than he did before. He understands the unknown better because he went and left the barriers that he's currently in to go experience chaos. <laughs> so now he can be this thing that helps change happen mm -hmm. and helps people understand the unknown because he experienced it without barriers. You know, it's really interesting and and maybe this is just because like this is just how they're portrayed in movies 
But the shamans, the medicine men, mm-hmm. in all the movies that I've seen with shamans, mm-hmm. are very keen on tradition. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're going back and looking at these old spirits and stuff, I think. I But if he's comparing a shaman to the revolutionary hero and using them um, interchangeably, right? then I, I feel like it would imply that the shaman comes back rejecting the tradition. Mm-hmm. So either they're because he does he definitely uses them in conjunction, correct? It seems like it. Like I mean, interchangeably. You've heard what I'm talking about. Right. How so even it, the new revolutionary heroes are going and experiences experiencing this thing. Right. Beyond the barriers of their time. But then he I mean, he just talked about how the shaman goes into chaos, but he experiences the tradition within the chaos. And I don't know and if then it's comes like comes back and changes the tradition by adding to the same tradition, the tradition that already exists. And I don't know if it's just that process is introducing him to chaos, so he understands it differently. But everybody, but then at that point, everybody experiences chaos. Here, let me uh, get more of that. <laughs> get more of that quote for you. I really hope I did just kind of break this, because then I'd feel like a smart boy. Instead of a dumb boy. Because sometimes when you read these things, I, I just... I stop listening, to be honest. Because I know you're going to, like, dumb it down. And I know it's mostly for me. Sometimes I read these a couple times, so... <laughs> yeah, but, like, ultimately you still read it. But, mm-hmm. I yeah, I... I still think about that one time when you first read a JP... Well, not the first time you read a JP thing, but you read a JP thing and did, like, your first analysis... And you're like, yo, here's this thing from JP, read it, and then I'm going to give you my analysis of it. And I misunderstood, and I also analyzed it. And you're like, well, the point was that like you listen to my analysis and let me explain it to you. And then I kind of felt bad that I did that. I don't remember that. I remember it, and I still feel bad about it. <laughs> um, Did you find it? Maybe. I mean, it just says it's talking about going into the sky Mm -hmm. or going into the realm of the dead Mm -hmm. um, or being roasted in or at a fire. I don't think there actually are, but like they're close to fire or something like that. Right. And, you know, finally they're resuscitated by the same supernatural beings who had killed them and they're now a man of power. During and after this, they meet with the spirits, which I already talked about. In short, the candidate becomes a medicine man through a ritual of initiatory death, followed by a resurrection to a new and superhuman condition. But didn't it say something about uh, following the masters that came before them? Yeah. Yeah. That's my point. Is they still get taught by the old ones, yeah. So he's using... He's saying that the revolutionary hero and the shaman use interchangeably and in conjunction with one another about mm-hmm. leaving tradition to experience something new and coming back with these new ideas, yet the shaman themselves don't do that. Yeah. I they don't... leave and they experience chaos, but they come back to the same tradition, and it's proven when he says that they're taught and learn the same things and by the masters that came before them. That's tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the, so either the revolutionary hero 
I think, okay, I think I figured it out. <laughs> Pray tell. So, he says the shaman's success at completing the journey from Earth to the domain of the gods, which is what he's doing when he's going and dying or whatever, mm-hmm. allows him to serve the role of psychopomp, intermediary between man and god, to aid the members of his community in adjusting to what remains outside of conditional adaptation when such adaptation fails. So supposedly he's going to this place and talking to these people that do know like what's in the unknown. Mm-hmm. That understand the chaos. So now he understands the chaos and he can help his people deal with it. But that's not... That's different than the revolutionary hero. Is it not? No, because supposedly the shaman can see the change that's needed because they understand the unknown better. Mm, but see, incur- unknowing, understanding the chaos, mm-hmm. right? And coming back and sharing that with your people so that they can better handle the chaos is different than saying that we need to change our traditions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because the revolutionary here is going out into chaos and coming back and saying we need to change tradition but it sounds like the shaman's going out into chaos learning from it and coming back to the tradition just so they can continue better handling other chaos well and he's saying that tradition he's saying that they're so they're supposed to be leaders Mm. so if there's no change required then they don't have to change it but they also know enough to say we need to redo what we're doing right now Hmm. i don't know it feels fishy to me i'm not a big fan but we'll continue yeah Continue. Please do good stuff. So, later he says, The hero, by contrast, author and editor of history, masters the known, Mm -hmm. exceeds its bounds, and then subjects it to restructuring. Again, the heroes he listed earlier definitely did not, quote, master the known in any effectual sense. No. They might have thought they did, but to assume that any any individual human could fully understand the known, I think, is pretty fatally prideful. Well, not only is it prideful, it's just totally unchristian, and I would argue unrealistic in any sense. Because, and we've talked about this two or three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, you remember I brought up how, like, we all experience things different, and then, yeah. like, you see a lot of conflict because people experience the same thing differently. Mm-hmm. So then the conflict arises when, like, they don't understand why the other person sees it, and the real, ultimate, and only resolution of the conflict is that. Well, you see things and have experienced things differently than I have. And mm-hmm. understanding that allows me to not only forgive you, but be more patient and understanding with you. And if both parties were to do that, there wouldn't be a conflict because you would just acknowledge that there's a difference. Mm. And then at the same time, when you acknowledge that, you have to acknowledge that none of us know the truth. The only truth we know as Christians is that Jesus died for our sins. And right. if we have faith and accept Jesus Christ, that is that is how we go to heaven. That's mm-hmm. how we continue our faith. And that's how we continue, you know, developing as a Christian. Yeah. But beyond that, we don't actually know anything 100% guaranteed. You know? Yeah. It's, it's all experiential. And then experiences shared with, you know, our kids and our friends and our community so that those experiences, those paths can be further carved and understood. Mm-hmm. But none of us know the literal truth. None of us are 100% right. And you can look at math and stuff and be like, well, 2 plus 2 is 4. Yeah, but math is just an abstract concept we came up with. Who's to say that math is the right way? 
that that math in of itself might not be the truth. When all math does is describe patterns. Right. It just helps us understand. Mm-hmm. Like all math did was help make this building happen and in the rules of math. Had the rules of math not existed, you'd have to create a different set of rules to create this room in this building. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it would fail. But that also helps us understand and see the value of rules and systems and structures that are in place because mm-hmm. without a system structure and a rule set, this building couldn't exist. That wall has to touch that wall for it not just to go into the, you know, the outside. Yeah. So that that's a rule. So how do we create a structure and what can we do to make sure that always happens? Well, and importantly, with something like math, all it is, <clears throat> I mean, it's pretty much just like patterns and describing the way mm-hmm. that the world works. Yeah. That doesn't give us any sort of meaning. No. Which, as Jordan Peterson, something we agree with Jordan Peterson in this book, he demonstrates how vital meaning is to humans. Yeah. Well, I mean, without meaning, like Tolstoy, you go to nihilism, and then I would argue you just become mad because, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. If you don't have meaning, if you don't have faith in something beyond your individual self, then well why why bother yeah What's it's like point? he said you can do stuff but ultimately you know that it doesn't matter yeah so yeah so i'm very conflicted to say the least about yeah i this this chapter was kind of out of nowhere no but like it's weird because the other three things i feel like we generally agreed with mm-hmm. you know but now all of a sudden it what was it the strange the stranger and the strange idea we were like yeah i mean for the most part like yeah that makes sense that tracks that makes but now we're just kind of in this like territory of like well that's just like contradicting mm-hmm. like the entire basis of like understanding yeah hmm. so we'll move on to another one all right he says the hero detects the dragon or at least admits to its presence before anyone else and leads the charge. His return to the kingdom of threatened order may hardly be accompanied by praise, however, since the information he now carries, or the information that he perhaps is, will appear disruptive and destructive long before it proves redemptive. So what he's saying is that someone, this hero can, can go out and figure out what this threat is that's in the chaos currently. Mm-hmm. And he can come back and tell people about it, and he can be treated with you know rejection and everything and a lack of praise because maybe in the short term it'll seem like it's disruptive and destructive because it's trying to or what's necessary is a reformulation of like that order Mm -hmm. so people are like no that's bad we need to keep it the way it is and what he's saying that is that in the long run that thing can prove to be redemptive like, there was the change that the people didn't like, but just mm-hmm. maybe that was necessary. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with that, but he's not saying maybe. But he's saying that that's, like, how it works. That's what the hero does. But I still have a problem because that information can be absolutely destructive. Yeah. Like, Freud's idea that humans are primarily sexual um, and that culture is defined by its suppression of that sexual nature... Like, that's a destructive idea. Yeah. And 
you know, we can think as Christians, like the epitome of that hero that we're talking about is Jesus, mm-hmm. as you brought up earlier, um, because he did lead the charge and was disliked at the time. Yeah. So I think what well, we can see. still disliked. Right. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like the people sure, to, sure, to sure. use his example. Mm-hmm. So I think that shows that in some cases this is true. That there can be this person that's bringing in something new that people don't like, but it's going to be good for them. But also you can't say that it's always true because sometimes the ideas are subversive and bad. I think the presupposition that's made is that new ideas... Mm, I think the presupposition is that the revolutionary hero can be anybody, but I think we need to acknowledge the importance of um a noble cause mm-hmm. because like i would say the revolutionary hero applies to somebody like george washington right he went into the tradition was a monarchy right under king's rule and he left that granted he didn't go back and try to change it but he did bring people with him that came from that tradition and then introduced new ideas from that chaos right mm-hmm. so i think and then we can see the same thing with Jesus is that like, here's the tradition. Jesus comes along and goes, no. Right. So I think we can see that, but I think it's because at their core and at their, in their, in their hearts, those people had very, very noble causes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would argue that Freud doesn't have a noble cause. He's just trying to explain things. Yeah. And I don't know. Something that I haven't brought up <laughs> is, oh, where can I find it? You broke it. Oh, I passed it. You Here broke it. it. Okay, so... You broke it. He talks about these uh, processes that the shamans and stuff can go through. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I will say, at the beginning of the chapter, or the section, not the chapter, mm-hmm. he talks about how they used to dismiss these shamans as just, like, insane. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. To me, it feels like Occam's Razor. Like, the simplest explanation is probably the true one. Ah. Where, like, either they're just are crazy. Yep. Or they are these... Man, how would you summarize it? They're these figures that are unconsciously through ritual imitation demonstrating the importance of submitting yourself to chaos at certain times in order to revolutionary revolutionarily adapt no shot your order yeah no they're crazy so i mean that's what it seems like to me again they could have something else i think it's like what you were talking about one time where you didn't think you were right Mm -hmm. but you didn't think jordan peterson was right either yeah is there's probably something else going on that we don't know because we aren't there because it was thousands of years ago yeah exactly I mean, I don't, I, I'm going to be real. I'm sorry. I don't know where this cough came from. It's fine. Um, I, I think we can see that happen a lot in like, um, like society and culture today is like social justice warriors that are like paving the path for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And it's like either they're totally right in everything our entire society has been doing for hundreds of years is totally wrong. And, and we're all dumb and wrong. Or they're crazy. Mm. And I'm not saying they're all crazy, but 
but the idea of or it's some sort of mental illness yeah that's too. that's very possible because like Which all is... of these people that he's qualifying as revolutionary heroes mm-hmm. like nietzsche literally had a mental breakdown right he's saying all of them had some sort of psychological turmoil right and like I mean, is craziness, is insanity not just a mental illness, a mental problem? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it tracks because what's more reasonable that our entire culture and society uproots itself? Every religion and every belief is completely wrong from its very ground structure and up and that we need to uproot everything and change it because a small group of people with a loud voice said so or are they just wrong? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see how the country has functioned this far. Mm. And I don't see how, like Christians, I don't see how Christians have gone with the Bible for 2,000 years. Well, and now of all of a West. sudden we're just wrong. Right. Well, and it's most, <coughs> I mean, it goes to what we talked about earlier is that there's just different presuppositions about the way that the world works. Right. Once you get rid of the net, that is the hypothesis of God. Mm-hmm. Who knows what happens? Yeah. And like, that's just a huge problem to be like mm-hmm. trying to overcome is just like, well, I don't believe in God. I'm going to dismiss that. It's, it right. just, uh, it just, everything starts falling apart because if you can't, you can't understand the importance and value of, of rule or a structure, well, then everything can be undermined. Right. And then it collapses and then we have anarchy and, mm-hmm. and that's just a society I don't want to live in. Right. And plenty of people don't want to live in that. And if you think we should, there's other countries. So in anarchy. I do want to get one more quote in. Okay. That we can end on mm-hmm. and talk about this for a little bit. Um he talks about traditionalism that fights against the hero. Mm-hmm. And so this is that. It's kinda of what I'm rooting for at the moment. But this is an very more tyrannical one. Okay. This arrogant traditionalism masquerading as moral virtue is merely unexpressed fear of leaving the beaten path of forging the new trail. The entirety entirely comprehensible, but nonetheless unforgivable shrinking from destiny as a consequence of lack of faith and personal ability and precisely equivalent fear of the unknown. So this could be like the, king of gondor yeah like we brought up last time um this one that's really just afraid of doing new things because you know he doesn't want to accept that there's other possibilities and stuff so first of all do you understand the quote yeah and i'm annoyed (laughs) so i think it's a fine quote there's people that are stuck in tradition when things need to change sure that's downfall so i think that's what he's talking about here Mm -hmm. i this is what i wanted to talk about in regards to that quote. Okay. I feel like this is complicated as a Christian because on one hand, the word of God does not change. Mm-hmm. But on the other, there are parts of life where we do have to accept change. The difficulty is, therefore, making sure that we understand what God wants from and for us so that we can know which things are okay to change. Yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Well, I mean, I think that's the important thing about being Christian. And maybe the fun thing about being Christian is understanding God's will and applying that to like today's cultures and ideas mm-hmm. and and navigating that and figuring that out. Um, 
which it, it kind of reminds me of something that we had talked about like a while ago and that you had mentioned like well does the spirit of what you're doing reflect god's will mm-hmm. and we we were talking about um <clears throat> just different things that we were navigating like cursing and I, my point was like, well, they're just words. And you were like, right, but does that reflect the spirit of what God wants us to do, which is to use our words to create and to love? Is that, and while they are just words and like people have attributed meaning to mm-hmm. like S-H-I-T, used, used to mean ship high in transit. It was used for manure, cow manure, because of all the methane gas. So they had to ship it high in transit on a cargo ship. Mm-hmm. But now we use it as a, a curse word all the time. So it's like, on one hand, it's like, well, that it doesn't mean anything because it, it's it's a arbitrary meaning that we assign to an acronym. And you're like, but does that reflect the spirit of it? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good question to ask ourselves on a lot of things we do. Is it reflecting the spirit? But I also think you can get too carried away with it. Mm-hmm. I think you can definitely be like, well, does this reflect the spirit? Should I be doing this and this and that and this and that? And I mean, like, if you're hanging out with your buddies... And you're joshing around and you're shoving each other and you're, you know, you moron, you did this, da, da, da. it's all lighthearted fun. But then you can overanalyze. Well, does that reflect the spirit? But God want you to call your friend a moron. It's not, that's not what you mean by it. Mm-hmm. That is lighthearted fun. You're being genuine. Like, oh, you, you moron, you missed the shot. Like we lost the game, but it's mm-hmm. all in lighthearted fun. So I think it, it's the balance of understanding, well, What's the intention behind everything? And then that goes down the rabbit hole right. of your intentions. And what do you think about the figuring out where things are okay to change? <clears throat> I think I think kind of what I was talking about, like understanding the core of something. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know. It's hard to put a definitive line on it's it. It's not an easy question. No. And I think, it, I think that's a part of the reason it's important to be called to community. It's important to know the will of God the word of God and where we're, where we're trying to go because like you can change things and be very drastic about it. And then you can change things and be very subtle, but it doesn't matter because what matters is that you're in our eyes, that you're aligning your path and trajectory with the will of God and what God wants for us. Mm-hmm. And even then that's difficult to do it alone, to do it with just the two of us. So like, I think, Ultimately, when should you be doing change? When should change arise? I think when it makes sense and when it makes sense to more than just one or two individuals. Mm-hmm. I think if if you know some people that you can look up to for guidance and take everything with a grain of salt, you know, but I think if there's people that you can look up to, there's people that you know have experienced life and are wise and are credible, you know, take that with a little bit more weight than somebody who's, you know, just your buddy. But I think it's just, I think it's just preposterous to figure it out just by yourself. Just do it. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. You crumble. Yeah. Well, and trying to do that is probably a bit of pride. Yeah, absolutely. You can, so. it, I think it just ends up falling onto yourself. Like yeah. we've discussed before, looking to your individual self. If you're in an empty room and you're looking for something, you're not going to find it. It's an empty room. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you have to look beyond yourself yeah i think that's probably the most important thing indeed good way to end it thank you do you have anything else to close nope i just wanted to end with that question okay nothing better than what i said uh not no i mean i think you covered it well enough i could bring up different points but i was curious about your opinion (laughs) my ending was just that good (laughs) 
<clears throat> so speaking of pride yeah right well if you got nothing else to say i got nothing else to say thanks for watching episode 16 of lessons learned uh hope you have a good week good day good night whenever you're listening i hope you got something out of this and hope this is something to chew on think about you know that's why we kind of do this stuff some fun adventures of uh vocabulary and jordan peterson mm -hmm. we will see you next week for yet another episode of lessons learned bye bye